are listening to a Called Collective podcast where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. To learn more about the Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at thecalledcollective. What is up, everybody? Welcome to week six, episode six of the Coffee and Calling podcast. Man, Griffin, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have our conversation today. And I just want to really just thank everybody that's been listening, Um, whether you're a high school student, um, a pastor, or anybody that is just listening that has enjoyed the content. We just want to thank you so much. This, again, has just been so exciting for me and Griffin, and we've just enjoyed it so much. And uh, we pray and hope that this reaches you and this can be just such a, a good outlet and just some good content for you guys in your life. And as we continue going forward, um, again, just thank you for your all support. Um, Griffin, do you want to introduce our guest for today? Absolutely. We are joined by Pastor Joe Jackson. He's currently pastoring in Anderson. Uh, could you give us a little bit of information about what you're doing currently? Yes, I'm the uh, lead pastor at United Wesleyan Church in Anderson, Indiana, which is, uh, we are on the west side of Anderson, a part of town called Edgewood. And uh, our church is very interesting. We're really the the coming together of, of three ministries over the last several years. Uh, there was a uh, friend's church that was about to close that approached us uh, and us, by the way, I was not there yet, but the previous pastor about merging and, uh, and, and then the Wesleyan church uh, that was at that time called Memorial circle also had a Hispanic ministry. And so that ended up working out and the two churches came together. And now we meet in what was previously the friends church uh, uh, first friends church in Anderson. And it's now we changed the name and it's United Wesleyan church. And it's kind of the coming together of, of the Hispanic ministry and the friends church and the Wesleyan church. And, and a lot of church mergers have negative stories around them. This one's not, it's been, it's been an awesome thing. The friends people have been godly people that just wanted help to extend the life of their church and and still reach out to the community of Anderson. And it was really uh, touching to them how uh, Memorial Circle had reached out to the Hispanic ministry in our town. And, and, and that's part of the reason why they approached us. So uh, that's where I'm at. And, and I'm kind of the second pastor since that transition. And the previous pastor was uh, of Memorial Circle and, and United when it changed names was uh, there 20 years. And so I replaced a pastor that had uh, been there a long, long time, but it's been an awesome experience so far. Two years I've been there. Mm. Yeah. And for you with that, I mean, what's like something that like, uh, that's such like an interesting topic and something we haven't really talked about. When you kind of come into a role with a past from a pastor that has been there for so long, because I know growing up, my dad was at a church for uh, like 12 years and he was considered like the pastor of the community and everything. Um, what is some like good, like healthy, like, I guess like tips and just like ways to like make that transition as you go into it? Um, I think for me, um, Clifton Ashlock was the previous pastor and, uh, he and I still have a great relationship and work together. In fact, he's the the leader of a, a district board that I'm a part of, which ministerial students might know of called the DBMD. And he and I work closely together. And so 
we worked closely together from six months before I got here. And two years later, we're still, um, I, I appreciate him and I, I value his opinion and, and uh, his wisdom and, and his insight into the ministry that I lead. And so I feel like that's, that doesn't always happen, but I'm blessed that that uh, has worked out in that way. And I think that's been, that's helped create a better transition, just that relationship. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great journey you've been on. Um, before we jump into your calling story and its fullness, we'd like to ask you uh, one question. And that is if you could have coffee with anyone from the Bible, except for Jesus, who would you pick and why? Just sit down and talk to him. I'll tell you what, somebody I really think would be interesting and based on the scenario is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a man that prayed sentence prayers in every thought and trusted God to the nth degree and, 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 and watched God do things that were impossible. And so I think his faith and trust in God inspires me. And so I'd have some good uh, questions for, for Nehemiah and love to sit down for a cup of coffee. Mm, yeah, that's good. It's like crazy that you say that because me and Griffin are in our master courses. We're part of a class called Old Testament post-exilitic literature. And the one thing we've been studying is Nehemiah recently. And yeah, just reading through that, especially like um, just the section of coming into like building the wall and all the opposition he faced and how much... Just like his ability, one of the things that we have to write at the end of our papers is further study points. And I was like, I want to make like a like a sermon series just based off of like his pastoral leadership, but his ability to like remain fervent in his fear of the Lord through all the struggles and how that just guided him so beautifully. And like, I definitely, I agree with you 100% because just the humbleness nature of just like him and how much he gave up as a governor what's anybody that's listening as a governor they were given an allowance from the people a tax to be able to host like these big parties and do these luxurious things as a governor nehemiah so that the people would not be burdened by that tax gave up that tax and also used the money he already had to serve them and serve other people that would come and he took on because he says, I didn't want to be a burden to the community. Um, and if that doesn't share with you, just, I mean, he could have easily done that tax. He was given it, but he gave it up to serve the community. And just like, I mean, like you talk about his just servant leadership mentality is something as I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, there's some like, there's just leaders right now that don't have this. And it's just so, it is just beautiful to read. Yes. So, and as we kind of go into that um, and as we go into like your story and everything, we would love it if you would just like share your just call to ministry with us um, and hear that testimony and hear that process of the things leading up to it. Yeah. It's um, it was a long process in my life and, and uh, many say, Oh, I was called at a young age and I fought against it. That, that what's, that's not my story at all. I, um, I uh, went to uh, Ball State University out of uh, high school, that uh, house of ill repute, uh, that <laughs> school, uh, with a lot of things to get in trouble. Yeah. And, uh, and I got in some trouble and, and uh, fit right in. In fact, I was a leader amongst troublemakers. Yeah. 
And so I, uh, but I was a good student and I, I, school was easy for me. I could get by doing very little and still yeah. do good. And so some of us are blessed that way. And, and God, for whatever reason, blessed me in that way. And so I did well in school. And, and uh, before I even got out, I was recruited uh, by the Hershey company, which I'm sure all of you listening have probably partaken, unless you have some strange allergy to chocolate or some other uh, sugar that's refined. God bless those uh, So I was recruited even before I graduated and soon after graduation uh, began as a salesperson with the Hershey company. And I ended up spending almost 14 years of my career with them uh, right out of college. I uh, uh, worked in uh, Louisville, Kentucky to begin with. And then uh, my wife and I got married uh, during that time that we lived there. And then I got a promotion. We moved to Lansing, Michigan. Mm -hmm. We lived there for three years. I got another promotion. We moved to Buffalo, New York. And some people say, oh, that's a promotion. <laughs> and, uh, and we lived there uh, two years. I got another promotion. We moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. And now it's only been eight years and we've lived in four states. Wow. And, um, and then a couple years into that role in Cincinnati, there was a restructure and they asked me if I wanted to go back to Indiana, which was my home. And, and I said, well, let me think about it. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so we moved uh, to Indianapolis and bought the house we thought we'd retire in. And, and, uh, but during that time in Indianapolis, um, God began to stir my heart and, and, uh, in my career, I began to feel like a fish out of water mm. and it just no longer felt, I, I had been, I had been the guy serving the Kool-Aid to people I would hire and train about, uh, the, the Hershey company is virtually the Cadillac of the food industry. If, 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 if somebody looking to work in that industry wanted to choose a company, especially the time that I came out of college, things have changed. Now the business world is somewhat different. That was the company you wanted to work for. Wow. And, uh, and the fact that they found me, you know, is just, God was watching over me um, many, many years before I knew all his plans but eventually I felt like a fish out of water and I, I enrolled at what is now Wesley Seminary. Wow. And I felt a strong call to pastoral ministry and a good friend of mine that I had, uh, was a pastor and, and had become my best friend was uh, killed in a car accident. He was also a cardiologist. So he's a church planter and a cardiologist and uh, that helped fund his ministry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he inspired me. He inspired me. And so I feel like part of my calling, God speaks through people, you know, and God speaks in lots of ways, but God speaks through people that he gives wisdom. And, uh, uh, my friend's name was Tim and he, he died in a, a one car accident. And, uh, but a year later I felt called to ministry. I enrolled at Wesley seminary and attended there the next two years. And during that time, I, I felt strongly God called me to leave my role at Hershey. And I literally was at a meeting, I think in Atlanta, in a hotel. And I felt that night as I went to bed, God telling me, uh, it was the night before the meeting was in, that was like a Thursday night that it was time to leave. And I, I called my wife that night and I said, I, God's called me to leave. And uh, the next morning I resigned. Wow. And uh, I was making six figures and did not have any other job and had a wife and now a child, one child. I now have three, but, uh, 
God led me, you know, for the next five months, I didn't have a job, but I, I eventually started working for uh, Wesleyan Publishing House in the Wesleyan Church headquarters. And that five years that I spent there as a director of sales and marketing was the time God began to open the doors for a clearing of him to speak to me in a way to call me. And, and, uh, and eventually I got called to plant a church in Florida. And that's even a longer story. So <laughs> that's kind of a, but that's an overview of, of how he spoke to me to call me into full-time vocational ministry. And, and, uh, you know, my salary went up, up, up as I did well in the corporate world. And then as I got in the pastoral world, it came down and down and down. (laughs) And then I became a church planter and it bottomed out. And, uh, (laughs) but God's been so good to me and my wife and my family. And, uh, it's been a blessing to be called. Wow. So, Leaving like the security and that salary that you had at Hershey had, at least I'm looking at it from my point of view, leaving that with having no idea what was ahead of you. um, What were some of the emotions you were feeling following that, your, your resignation and those five months of unemployment? What was that like for you? Well, (laughs) um, uh, lack of security is definitely one of the feelings, but I think it was harder on my wife than me. Mm. I, I, for some, you know, <laughs> the world would call stupid and, and you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the world would look at me and say, what are you doing? You idiot. You, give you up? know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, I was not worried. Mm. I was not worried. I knew, I knew when you hear a call from God, that you know is clear and even confirmed from other people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's going to be fear, and you know, you, you you know, Jesus had to experience life as a human, right? So he already yeah. understands what we have to go through. But I I was much less fearful than my wife, and I knew God would take care of us, and He has. Mm. Wow, wow, yeah, that's something extremely like I even know like. There's almost this, like, when you have this, like, leading from the Lord, there's this confidence of, like, and I think it also comes into play of, like, when you know who God is and you know his provision that he has over his people um, and just that confidence of, like, if the Lord's calling me into this, then he has a plan. And it's my job to, like, steward that, but also walk in and just be, have that faith. I was just talking to one of my professors this morning about, um as we walk into those callings and sometimes there's not always that guarantee of financial security, that guarantee of things coming, but that's the point of us having faith is knowing who God is and knowing that he's leading into us. And I think that's what, I mean, you just displayed that really well. Like I know who God is and I know what he's calling me into. And to deny this would be, I mean, I'm sure like thinking of that, like if you had just like denied that calling and just kept, I mean, it'd be miserable almost to feel that way. Yeah. And I feel like one reason the Lord had blessed us so much, my, my wife and I, and just our lives, it was the ability to say yes when it came time. Mm. Like, I feel like one mistake, many, a a lot of people get into that maybe have a second career calling Mm -hmm. that aren't able to say yes, is they're now strapped down with debt. Mm. There's, there's a, you know, there's a, chain or a noose around their neck to prevent them, or at least they think, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my wife and I had always lived below our means. Yeah. In fact, I remember when we moved to Cincinnati. So then that's my, it was my fourth promotion. Yeah. And we met with this realtor that all the other people that had moved to town had, had also worked with. And we told her how much we wanted to spend on a house. And she went, wait, what? You know? And she said, well, that's kind of like, that's kind of like almost a starter home. Mm. I said, yeah, that's what we want. You know, she, she, she'd made commission on this person moving in, this person moving out, this person moving in, this person moving out. And she had an expectation of what that should be. Mm. And you know what? I didn't end up using that realtor. I need to go somebody, find somebody else because her expectation, I'm not going to, she's underwhelmed by me, mm. you know? And so we, we had lived underneath our means. And, and I think when God called it, it gave us the ability to say yes. Mm. And what was like for you being in the, that like, the secular business world for like so long. And you, you say like, like I wasn't a person that was like running from my calling by any means. Like, what do you think was like kind of like your purpose there as a, like a Christian in that business world for so long? And like, what was that kind of like doing ministry even then within that job? Yeah. Good question. I, um, I, my, one of my main jobs was hiring and training people to be salespeople for our company. And so I had the responsibility to get good people. And, and, and by the way, our interviewing process was insane, utterly insane. Mm-hmm. You were not going to work for our company. I had seven interviews before I got hired. Wow. With five different people. Dang. And uh, you were not going to get hired if you weren't. I mean, it, they virtually eliminated a really bad fit, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe occasionally there'd be somebody that would make it through that didn't work out, Mm -hmm. but that usually had more to do with self-motivation or, or, uh, the wrong, the wrong motivation. Yeah. And, and that may be a little harder to identify in an interview, Mm -hmm. you know, but, uh, all those people, I think I hired and trade 17 people, Mm -hmm. uh, that were full-time college educated bachelor's degree business people. Uh, and, and I would spend weeks and months with them. And so I had a lot of influence and I was able to help a lot of young people. Uh, I feel like at that time, and even the more experienced people on my teams also that I led, but that was, that was important. And I remember, I remember one time as God was shaping me and changing my character and my behaviors um, for his purposes. I remember I, you know, at one time I said, you know, we're at like a, a restaurant and, and I ordered a, a diet Coke mm-hmm. and everybody looked at me like I had five heads, you know, because that was not, I was changing, you know what I mean? And I feel like those little decisions like that eventually meant something to the people around me that they saw my resolve and my, and my, I didn't have a calling yet but I had a calling to a purpose. It just wasn't pastoral yet. Yeah. You know, and I feel like I had a, a big impact on people's lives and I still have lifelong relationships with some of those people that I now haven't worked with since 2007. Wow. You know, so there are still people that I, you know, speak with and contact and, and have deep relationships with. So 
I don't know. It's hard to measure those things. Yeah. You know, it's hard to measure in the church, let alone in the, you know, the secular world. But, Mm -hmm. but uh, ministry was different then. And, and it feels much different as a lay person than it does as a, as a pastor um, in a lot of different ways, but really we shouldn't think of it much differently. Wow. It's really evangelism and discipleship. And why do we confuse it with titles and letters? And you know what I mean? We're, we're all, we're all ministers. And yeah. so anyway. Yeah. How do you think your time in the corporate world for so long prepared you even without you knowing like skill wise experience wise for pastoral ministry. Yes. I think I have much more of a business sense than most pastors that, that, that come, you know, called after college Mm -hmm. or that get a bachelor's degree in Christian ministry. I think I have such more of a breadth of experience with, with decisions like that, that I, things like that come to me, come to, come to me much easier. I also have a, I also have a outsider's view of the church in many instances that a lot of people that have grown up in the church and maybe even had a a dad or a grandfather that were pastors or things like that, that many years of my life were outside of the church. And so I feel like I have a little better time relating to people that are outside the church than some pastors. And also the, just the business experience that, that I gained and, and even practical things like, Excel or computer skills, just a whole lot of things Mm -hmm. that I feel like I gained that I wouldn't have had. I, not that I wouldn't have gained any of them, but maybe not to the same degree that I feel so comfortable today in a lot of environments that maybe other pastors don't have as much experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And kind of like with that, one thing I was thinking of as you were talking was how often a lot of these students that might be listening or local uh, lay people or just like local ch- church pastors that are bivocational. It's like one of the biggest challenges and fears that can have is like sharing your faith and being open about your faith and how to minister and evangelize within like that secular community. I know me, I worked a job for three years um, at a place called Journeys in high school and it's like a shoe sales spot. And I was the only Christian there. And just how much that developed me in high school of what it meant to evangelize to people that were not part of the church by any means. Um, And just like asking you, like, what are some tips you have for people that are working in the secular world or people that are even high school students that have jobs and they're like, they're with people that are also their age that don't know the Lord. Like, what are some of your biggest tips on just evangelizing and discipling and sharing those gospel in the places um, that are secular? Yeah, I think um, one thing that's become prevalent, maybe more in the last 20 years, is just, uh, and maybe this is so 10 years ago, but kind of the concept of relational evangelism and just, mm-hmm. I'm going to build a relationship and they're going to see Jesus in me. And it's, I don't think that's true. I think they'll see it and you have to build that relationship. But at some point when the relationship has gotten to a point where where you trust each other enough to, to really understand viewpoints and, and respect them. Mm. It comes to words. Yeah. There has to be a point of, I have to share my faith and ask them the, the tough questions mm. that make me uncomfortable. Yeah. 
and it's very uncomfortable. And, and I also think it's not with everybody you work with. I think God will lead you to a person that's a concept of provenient grace. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, the grace yeah. that goes before you need to see evidence of that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's really, it's not nothing I'm saying going to convert anybody. Mm-hmm. It's the spirit of God softening their heart and their soul to his purposes. Mm-hmm. And then I become a conduit to share with them, mm-hmm. you know, a decision they may have already felt almost not even instinctively or intuitively or subconsciously. Yeah. And so I feel like, you know, but that's tough. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's easy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it needs to be, it needs to be led with prayer. Mm-hmm. Lord, speak to me about who you're leading me to. I think that's very Christ-like the way you explained it too, because obviously Jesus was extremely relational with especially the 12 and he did not mince words with them. Right. Over and over he was, you know, calling them out for not Why understand still it. so dull. Yeah. <gasps> Why don't you get it yet? Yeah. You know, uh, obviously I don't think we should be doing that with oh, yeah. people <laughs> trying to evangelize, but um, like you said, like being willing to become uncomfortable, especially is Christ like, as I'm sure he was uncomfortable in the incarnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, just walking around, you know, doing all everything he did it was surely uncomfortable, but like doing it because he cared about us enough to step into that discomfort and being willing to, you know, it's, it's a setting aside of his rights. It's what Paul talks about in Romans 14. Um, you know, your right to comfort, are you willing to get rid of that for the sake of someone else's soul? Mm-hmm. Um, not that the friendship would be ruined by not confront. I don't want to say confronting them, but like it, it is a confrontation to a degree because it's serious. I think evangelism is very serious. Um, if you truly care about someone's eternal fate, it's serious and it would lead you to a mm-hmm. confrontation and, and being willing to lay aside your right to that friendship and handing it over to God and saying like, this is what you're leading me to. I'm going to have this conversation. I'm going to be obedient to you in the same way that Christ was obedient and coming to earth, laying his life down, dying on a cross for our sins and rising again. I think it goes hand in hand with that, but yeah. And there's just, it just matters. I mean, except, especially what you just said. I mean, there's this beautiful quote that sometimes that people say where like how I think this challenge is not only just saying words, but how often do you share the gospel without using words, but by like living it out. But also there's that challenge of like, people might just look at you and be like, Dan's just a good guy. Yeah. Like he's just like a, he looks like he's like, he's got good morals and he's, he's a nice good. guy. He's a nice guy, you know? And we're, we're not, we're made to be righteous people. And people won't understand. I think of like, I preached a sermon about this, but where Paul goes that those who are not filled with the spirit cannot discern spiritual things. Yes. So they only discern it as Dan's just a good guy. He's got good morals. But if you share with them that gospel and share with them those things and they come into a relationship with Christ, then they can see that and be like, Dan's not just a good guy. He's only that way because of Jesus. That's why he's a good guy. That's why he's a good guy. It's like because of that righteousness that he's been gifted with because of faith in Christ. And I think so many people miss that. It's like, yes, you left a good impression on people and you left good things, but you left them without knowing Christ. So they've been almost just left with this like worldly wisdom because Paul illustrates that beautifully in the word. 
the word wisdom, how he shares the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. If you never actually share the gospel, they're only going to see your actions from a worldly wisdom standpoint. And that's leaving them with not the, I think of this in the chosen where Nicodemus is looking yes. into the mirror and it's like dirty. And he's like, maybe we don't have the full picture. Yes. And I think I, even if it might offend somebody and you can say it in the most loving way possible and offends them. I would want people to know not only did I live out the gospel in front of them, but I shared with them because yes. um, that it mattered to people, it mattered to people like my dad, um, who he saw a lot of people live it out. And one day he was shared it and he came to know Christ. Um, and that's, that's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I just totally agree with you is that, yes, it's about creating that relationship, but you're going to, you, everybody needs to come to that crossroad where it's like, do you want this? Like, do you want to know Christ? Because he, he loves you. I think the level to which you do care about your evangelism directly reflects the seriousness with which you take Jesus and with which you take the kingdom of God. Um, it, it's, it's a direct correlation. Um, because the more serious you take that and the more serious you take the command of like from God to love thy neighbor as thyself. And you truly believe that where you're going is, yeah, you know, everything that it's supposed to be. Just, you would care for their soul. You would care for everyone's soul. You wouldn't want anyone yes. to experience, number one, the pain of hell, but more importantly than just physical pain, the pain of not knowing who Jesus really is and the peace and joy that comes from truly knowing Christ. You would want everyone to experience that if you truly believed it yourself and you truly believed that heaven is everything it's going to be. It's hard to think of that in that way, probably because it's convicting and we don't want to think of it that way. Oh, I felt convicted saying it. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I mean, not doing that in the way we just described is selfishness. Mm-hmm. Not caring about someone's soul is only caring about me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not that we need any more weight on our shoulders for evangelism, but you know, the, the weight of other people's souls. And when you begin to feel that, I think it, it changes how you view the responsibility. Mm-hmm. I was once, uh, I was posed a question by somebody. They just talking about all the challenges and how you can get really tempted with different things of the flesh going into ministry. And he said, how are you going to cultivate a healthy response to temptation and remain, keep your purity? And this came to me out of nowhere, but it's in Psalms 34 where he says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, but his face turns from those who do wicked. Um, And I just said this in a response. I was like, every day surrender over to the Lord and have faith in him so I may be righteous and have his eyes upon me. But when I do wicked things, I said I could lose a ministry. You know, I could lose like, you know, so many things in this world because I have like a moral failure or something, but I would lose the eyes of the Lord on me. And that would just be, it would almost, I feel like living would be pointless if I did not have the Lord's hand upon my life. And I think that's something for anybody listening. Is that what we really care about? That's why we really believe. It's not so we just get a get out of hell free card, not just because we you know, we don't want to lose all these things, which those are hard things to lose. But the fact that we would be in eternity away from the Lord's presence, or even in this life to have, not saying you're forsaken just because you've made a mistake, but when you do wicked things, the eyes of the Lord are not upon you. 
that thought is like it's it's crushing to think about and i think that just to pull our urgency of like we want people to know i had somebody say my buddy grant that we had on this show a few weeks ago he said this so profoundly the one time i believe it was from the he said often when we debate things on whether or not it's a sin we always ask the question it will it send somebody to hell if they do this he said that's not the question is it will it stop somebody from living out their life in the fullness of christ right now and if it stops them from doing that then we shouldn't do it um and that that hit with me and my question going into that for you is that what has been uh, some of those big things in ministry that you have been challenged with? And you've honestly had to come to the end of yourself and just submit that over to the Lord. And what is like, yeah, what has your response been to those times? Uh, when we were uh, called to plant in Florida, I mean, not only had I left my career, I now needed to fundraise my own salary for the next three years. Wow. And, uh, and go to a place I knew nobody with virtually no team and start a church. And, and as, as, uh, I mean, it's, it's bad enough in our world to, to operate an existing church and keep it afloat, you know? (laughs) Uh, but to start a new one, it was just, um, but we were called so clearly to that. And I mentioned, I briefly mentioned that earlier, the calling was so clear I've never been um, before or since and maybe never will be as clearly called to something as I was to that mm. because God spoke to us supernaturally through multiple people in multiple ways through a specific word. Mm. And, um, and so, but that assurance, almost like I talked to about leaving my career was comfort mm. to know that he'll take care of us. And he did at every step and, and so I feel like that was, you know, the safety and the security of, of money and the world and all those things are, are temptations. Mm. Like it's not always just sex, drugs, and alcohol. It's money, security, and family. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's relationships. I, I mean, you might think it's silly, but you know, you, you move, you move somewhere, you lose all your friends. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's sacrifice. And awfully often pastoral ministry calls us to that over and over and over. Some for multiple times throughout their lives. And it's hard to have friends in the church. Mm-hmm. So you could say, oh, well, I get there. I'll make friends. Uh, I mean, you can have friends in the church, but it's, it's, there's something different about that relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's, you know, some of the things God's called me um, to sacrifice. I think um, I think that's like brings up an important need for pastors to have like other friends who are also pastors. Yes, to have someone to minister to you as you minister to others, and like to pour into each other because yes, and accountability. Yeah, accountability because it. I mean, so often we. I mean, I've talked about this on. I think Dan, you've we've probably had a conversation about it, um, and I've had it with other people too. Is that pastors don't have a place to confess because people forget, oh yeah, the pastor is some kind of demigod who can never sin and who's always on, you know, who's going to come to every need that I'll ever have at the drop of a hat. Mm. It's like, no, pastors are human too. Yeah. And they need 
friends to hold them up and in look the what same happens way. when that doesn't happen. Exactly right. I was just I just had a guy putting a uh, a gutter on the back of my house last week, and and he's uh, English is his second language, and um, I got into a long conversation with him, which was really awesome. But I asked him about you know Iglesia and and his experience and if if he had one he said no i don't have one now and and he he shared with me 8 years ago he came he came to this country 20 years ago but and went to church off and on eventually found a place where him and his family fit and they loved it they went all the time and then that pastor had a a failure mm-hmm. and uh, was removed from ministry and that was the last time he was in a church wow yeah. that was the last time he was in a church was 8 years ago and he loved it. And I didn't get the sense, you know, this guy's got some discipleship left to go. Mm-hmm. But what's the, what's the cost of someone, you know, it's, it's again, kind of the example you just shared. You know, he, is he now not living in the, the righteousness and abundance and, you know, that full, mm. fullest life possible? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I could tell he was really hurt. He had loved that pastor. Mm. And, and I said, one thing I said to him and I said, but your faith was not in that man. Come on. Yeah. I said, your faith is in Jesus Christ and he's the unfailing son of God, the creator of this earth. Yep. That's where your faith is. Mm -hmm. And by the way, all of us, sometime we're going to fail people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and, and someone failed him. But you can't leave your faith at that altar and say, well, God, that guy hosed me, you know, and blame it on him because we're all responsible for our own faith and trust in God. And so we have to be accountable as pastors to each other to try to keep each other strong, you know, because, you know, I can't. Now you think of that, that guy, you know, who's no longer in church and now his kids are not like I told him, I said, you know, at some point there's someone at the bottom of a lake with a rock tied around their neck who's better off. Than, than the man that caused this, you know, mm-hmm. which, which was at his own, you know, temptation that he couldn't resist. We need to protect ourselves from that. Yeah. And 100%. I'm not sure I have all the answers. And, and honestly, I feel like those relationships are God ordained mm. and they're not easily found. Mm-hmm. They're not easily found. And so just joining the ministerial association isn't going to cut it. Mm-hmm. This is, this is serious, you know, it's, it's a, it's a John Wesley band we're talking about. And so that is true. That brings up a need that I don't think we of the church has a, has a very good answer for yet. Oh, and I know Satan's not stupid. He, uh, he knows that if he can get at a pastor, he's going to get at the congregation pretty easily. Yes. Um, we need to be mindful of that, Mm -hmm. that those attacks are going to come and they're going to come extra hard at pastors. Come on. Especially if they've already got a, a weak spot that's still yes. being worked on. He's going to hammer it home hard. Not even if. Not if. Yeah, he's going to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a question. Yeah. Like, are you prepared? Like, are, are all pastors prepared for that? Mm-hmm. And it's like, spoiler alert, it's not, you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. Either that or you're going to, you're going to get burnt out or you're going to be emotionally drained and unable to pour into your congregation in the way in which, or your family, or your family. Yep, we had a um, 
when COVID stuff was getting bad last year on campus, there was a, we had an email sent to us and our lead guy, DeMichael was like, vigilance is needed. Um, and I just, I remember that quote was sitting there. I think that's so true is that vigilance in the wake of so much temptation is needed. And having that accountability is so good. Even early on, um, with all the brothers I have in Christ, um, as they've been, uh, holding me accountable. Um, I've been, I've been already seeing, like, we've been already walking through all the different temptations we have just early on in the ministry. And I think when you have that accountability and you have that place to go, it combats it. And when we really confess those things and release them, there's this power of it doesn't, we don't fight these battles on our own, but we carry our burdens together. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm. That's a beautiful example. It expressing that. And um, our last question for you is um, if you could give yourself uh, go back in time when you uh, initially got that call into ministry and you're coming into it, um, what would be one piece of advice that you would give yourself as you kind of walked into that calling? I think um, for me, if I could talk to my younger self, it would be, I think God had to go to extraordinary lengths to call me. And, um, and he does all of us, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, he is extraordinary and his call is extraordinary. And so if you're expecting anything, any different, your, your eyes are closed and you've got scales like Paul had on, you know, the road to Damascus and they need to be removed. Yeah. And so I think we need to pray, God, remove the scales from my eyes. So I see and hear your calling and that I'm not so hard to reach. Wow. So good. So good. So one of the ways that we like to end is that we want to give you as um, our guest, we want to give you affirmations based off of things we've kind of seen in you throughout this episode and things we've heard um, from your calling story and just your conversations in general. And um, my affirmation to you is that you show such a great example of what it means to have faith, even though it doesn't seem like there's a lot of worldly security. Um, A lot of people, um, there's so much fear that plagues us sometimes of just like, how is this going to work out? How is this going to be true? And it's almost like we forget the God that we serve. Mm -hmm. We forget the God that split the sea for his people. We forget the God that rained literally manna from the sky for his people and provided and had a provision over their lives and called them into some crazy, even like Nehemiah, you said, some crazy circumstances. Like, how can this get done? And the world doubts them. And you even face that doubt of like, why would you give this up? Like, why you had all this, the, the promotions, you had the, what we would say, the American dream. Yet when you had that call, it was almost like, if I did anything else, what what would my life be? Like, what would, you know, I feel like it would be like disobedience to the Lord. And Mm -hmm. I just want to affirm you as you keep going into ministry and you keep living out that calling, that there is such this beauty to the way it started for you, that giving up so sacrificially. But I think one thing you have emphasized so beautifully this entire time is that, man, what I have given up, man, Christ has already given up so much more for me. He already died for me. He sacrificed, he came down, sacrificed his life so my sins could be washed away, so I could be filled with the Holy Spirit and what Christ sacrificed for us. And it's like going into that. And there's just a, there's such a confidence in what you say about 
if the Lord's leading me, I will go into it um, because you just know him. And yeah, I think that's such a beautiful example and something I know as you were talking as me, I'm transitioning out of college and there's so much with like being an adult and everything. I needed to hear that today. And that was really refreshing for me. So thank you so much. Yeah. I just want to echo what Dan said. You stole it. I was going to say faith, but seriously, um, the level of faith that you've displayed, um, cause you're right. It seems like foolishness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, and you said it earlier, God uses that, which is foolish in the world's eyes to shame the wise. Uh, and it's encouraging to me again with what Dan said, stepping out of college here, um, got a lot of big decisions on the horizon and just like believing that God is who he says he is. He's the same God who never fails his people in the old Testament. And if he's called you to go somewhere, he's dang well going to make it happen. Um, it's kind of encouraged me to loosen my grip on my life a little bit. Could, um, could I say something to both of you? Absolutely. Yeah. Actually all of you. I want to affirm all of you cause you're doing a service to the church and to the ministry of Jesus doing this. Mm. And I feel strongly you guys come to it with the, with the right heart and motivation and love for the kingdom of God. And so we need things like this and the people that aren't listening out there, they don't know what they're missing. Mm. So great job. Thank you. Mm. Thank you so much. Well, before we head out, how can we pray for you and different things that might be going on in your life, different things in your ministry? How can we pray for you before we leave? I just say, um, I've got, I've got, uh, three children, two that are in high school, one that, uh, this is her senior year. I'd say so personally, just the same kind of decisions that you guys made a few years ago, she's about to get into now you're going to get out. So, um, my oldest daughter's going to college. She's got big major decisions, just like you're talking about. And, and then I think for our church, uh, just uh, financial security, we've added to our staff and it's created some, some hardships, but it's in faith. Yeah. But we need, we need a move of God to, uh, and we're seeing positive, awesome results. We just, uh, you know, this world takes money to operate in, unfortunately, and and uh, and we need God to provide. You know, I just say, God, since you own the cattle on a thousand hills, you just send me two or three of them. <laughs> so, yeah. um, those two things, just wisdom for my children and and my family, and then also uh, blessings for the church to continue the ministry of God to reach Anderson with the truth and the gospel. Amen. You want to pray for us? Yeah, I'll take one, you take two. Yep. Father God, we thank you for um, Pastor Jackson's presence here with us today, uh, for the inspiration he's been not only to us, but to whoever else might listen in on this episode, God. Um, I want to pray for his children, specifically his daughter, who's in her senior year. She's about to make a lot of big decisions um, that are going to impact a lot. God, I pray that uh, she'll feel your presence over her, knowing that um, you can make the best out of any situation that arises. Uh, Any decision can be turned into good, but I pray that you will give her the wisdom to make the right decision up front. Um, 
And I thank you that Pastor Jackson's been a great influence in her life um, and a model of that wisdom and that faith. So not only give her wisdom, but give her fearlessness to step off that cliff, uh, knowing that you'll catch her. And that if she follows you, she'll soar like she has the wings of an eagle. Lord, I just pray for Pastor Jackson and his church, Lord. God, they took a step in faith and had added some new staff members to their church. And Lord, as he even said, we just praise you for what's already going on in that Anderson community and praying what's already going on in that church, Lord. That there's there's already this initial fruit of this goodness, Lord. And as they've taken this step of faith, um, Lord, I just pray that you put it on people's hearts or organizations or whatever it may be to help uh, fund this church, Lord, and help provide and just offerings that are given, Lord. Um, God, uh, may there just be this financial security um, for the church, Lord, that they are able to um, get the funds that they need, Lord, um, and just instill um, a confidence and also just a uh, a belief in the pastors and the staff there on what you are doing in their church. And as your provision will come, Lord, we just in faith know who you are, Lord. And again, we just pray that they are able to get all that they need and your provision comes over their ministry. And Lord, for even Pastor Jackson as a pastor, and as he just begins to lead, Lord, um, I just pray, God, that you continue to just press upon his heart these passions, these desires, Lord. Press upon his heart everything that you have led him up to this point, that he just, the the flame continues to be fanned in his heart, and he just desires going forward even more to live out this calling, Lord. And God, may he continue just to know how deep, how wide, how good your love is. And that just encourages him, given such hope, God, through any challenges or temptations he might have in the future. May he continue just to live by this righteousness that you have gifted him with, Lord. And God, as he, even as a husband, as a father, Lord, may he grow in that as his relationship grows with you and your example that you set as a father, as a brother. God, like, as a man of God, may he just know that he can keep his eyes into, on you, Lord. Keep his eyes on you, you, and he will walk on the waters in the midst of a storm. That he will walk with you. Lord, we love you so much. Thanks for times like this. Where we get to just fellowship and just bring glory to you through the stories and our testimonies. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Jackson, we want to thank you so much for being here today. Um, Like I said, it's been inspiring. And I know that this this podcast episode will reach who it needs to reach. We want to thank um, the band Caledonia for all the music you've heard on this episode today. You can find them on Instagram at Official Caledonia, or you can find them on their Bandcamp link down in the show notes. All right. Thank you so much. See you next week. Peace. Peace. I long to stay in that state of twilight. Eyes have not quite shut 
I'm holding on to you. 